This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Turning a New Leaf, where we discuss the changing face of Canada as it prepares to legalize and regulate recreational cannabis across the country. Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. Enjoy. Well, welcome to another episode. And, uh, you know, this one I'm sick. Can you tell that I'm sick? No, you sound wonderful. I I feel like I'm sick. Well, that's because I am. State of mind. Anyway, you got to do the show, right? (laughs) The show must go on. So today's episode, uh, I'm here with Kenny Lord. Kenny, great name, by the way. Thank you. Sounds like something out of a movie. Not sure what (laughs) kind of movie, but... Kenny's an entrepreneur, an industry innovator, and thought leader in the cannabis space, of course. And a little bit of background on Kenny. A strong background and major interest in the health and wellness uh, area, and is a firm believer in plant-based medicine. He's been a bit of a pioneer in the cannabis industry and has a unique uh, view of the industry as a result. Formerly, Kenny was vice president of corporate development with National Access Cannabis, which are medical clinics spread across the country, aiming to set a gold standard in cannabinoid therapy. He also played a key role in opening new partnerships in retail medical clinics, and currently Kenny is focusing on his company's consulting services with emphasis on education and stakeholder relations. He's a trusted advisor across business, government, and community stakeholder groups, is often sought after and featured in the media uh, as a subject matter expert, and frequently supports and consults with regulatory bodies, engages government across federal, provincial, and municipal levels. Sounds like you're busy, man. (laughs) And today, his business has him consulting for some of the top cannabis companies in the industry, ranging from companies that are here in Canada, throughout the U.S., as well as South America, and specifically Colombia and Europe. These include Canna Royal, Planet 13, Pharmacielo? Pharmacielo. Pharmacielo, which is now, I guess, Canna Brands. Sorry, Pharmacielo, and then Canna Brands is the last one. That's correct. So this is, of course, why you're here. You've got... You've got a lot of knowledge about this space and perhaps a different knowledge than most of the guests we've had. Um, your involvement in this space, I think, started long before um, there was discussion about the legal uh, space which we're about to enter into. And by the time this episode airs, I think it's like tomorrow <laughs> 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 that it will be legal. So it seemed like a good time to talk to somebody not about um, what we've been talking about, which up to now has really been a lot of, about what do we expect to happen at, on legal day um, uh, and what needs to change to prepare for that. This conversation will be a bit different. I think this one we're going to talk a little bit more about what's it going to look like in the future. And, yeah. and you know, you and I, had the privilege of meeting um, a couple of weekends ago, and 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 you had some amazing thoughts on uh, on what that might look like. So, before we get to that, I wanted to kind of start at the beginning just to get us all in the same space. Um, the one element of of your bio that I left out was the story of how your family had a forestry and agriculture business, which you then took and turned into a a, can- a forerunner in the cannabis industry. So. Why don't you tell that story? Sure. Well, first and foremost, Sean, thanks for uh, the introduction, and I am happy to be here. Um, Yeah, to pick up on where you're going, uh, my father, who spent uh, 
45 years in the agricultural industry. Um, my dad uh, ended up settling in the south shore of Nova Scotia around the Bridgewater area. And rather than following his dad's banking business, which he was heavily being pushed towards, uh, decided to get a forestry and science degree from UNB, uh, ended up settling in, uh, in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, as I suggested, and started um, a family-based business which lasted for 45 years, and that was cultivating uh, and exporting Christmas trees everywhere from out the U.S., overseas, Europe, Germany, all kinds of different areas, and uh, that was the business we grew up in. So agriculture, seed-to-sale business, unbelievable to, to be able to spend time as a kid growing up in that type of environment. Yeah. Um, it was really a pleasure to watch and to see and and, and to have that uh, seed to sell business. And ironically, 40 years later, here I am, and uh, we're in the middle of another uh, seed to sell business. <laughs> so I'm kind of being led to believe that being a part of that type of business made this business seem possible. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, I look back at and and I ask myself, I'm sure as many people do, how did we get where we are today? Um, probably two major contributors. And one, of course, that agricultural-based business that uh, I guess in some sense was embedded in me. And uh, and then, of course, the, the second thing that was really pinnacle and probably is equally as important that led me to the cannabis space was, uh, was my business background. And uh, had sort of a venture capital background. I got introduced to the markets very early while I was in university. And uh, that venture capital background con combined with uh, with the agricultural background that I, that I was raised with um, really allowed me to probably view what is taking place today maybe a little bit earlier. And, uh, yeah. you know, to look back <clears throat> 10 years ago and started realizing that there is an industry here that uh, that is entirely underground, um, but it is going to have to be forced to uh, forced to the to the white market, and uh, I guess that's again why we're here today. Uh, was that ten years ago? Well, it was ten years ago where I started looking heavily at this space to say, okay, um, the market is undeniable. I was paying attention to the financing. Mm -hmm. I was watching the size of the BC marketplace. You know, it was bigger than their agricultural market, and the numbers really started speaking for themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just realized how big that black market was, and recognized that the government is going to have to get involved for numerous reasons. I think probably primarily wow. to collect taxes on it and really started trying to spend some energy and time in that space to to prepare for ironically what's happening in uh, in a couple days. Yeah, that's crazy. You did so you didn't know like you would have no way of knowing for sure that that was coming that this was coming. So I mean, it's funny we've talked about this a little bit before but I never really I don't think the magnitude of that foresight struck me quite as strong as it is right now. Yeah. What, how do you explain that? I yeah, mean, well, um, a lot of good comes out of a lot of bad. Um, I was <laughs> yeah. told that numerous times and I'm a firm yeah. believer in it. Uh, 
quite frankly, I think the tipping point was um, I lost my father around uh, almost, well, a little over seven years ago. Very sudden. And uh, I'm sure as everybody can appreciate such a major aspect in my life. And all of a sudden he was gone. Yeah, and I was tough. living in Halifax, traveling kind of the world in that VC market at the time and uh, moved home to Bridgewater and moved into the house that I was born and raised in. And uh, wow. we uh, lived with my mother and uh, who would have thought, right? And yeah. um, while I was home there, uh, <clears throat> we had to pick up a business that uh, was was in desperate need of attention. This my, the, the, the tree business. This was yeah. the Christmas tree business, yeah. the operation. And, uh, you know, my dad was very well established in that area, not just within Lunenburg County, but globally. Um, it was a, a lot of people were relying and depending on uh, the employment, for instance, yeah. and uh, a big part of the big part of the community, our family business was. So um, the, the terrible thing, or at least I think what was part of the tipping point is, is, the industry was tired. The Christmas tree business was very difficult at the time and, and continues to be. Uh, trying to find people to do that labor was very difficult. Um, yeah. You know, we were competing with a large market in, in Ontario and in the South, and that industry was really slowing down, um, and, and there needed to be a change. And, uh, you know, again, that change really came forward when I started to look at the cannabis industry, and I'm thinking, hey, we need to do something. Uh, talked to him when my dad was alive, talked to him for a long time about this space, but him, like many other fathers and even people today, was yeah. hesitant about getting involved in this mm -hmm. industry for obvious reasons. But uh, I pushed it. And, uh, you know, uh, probably one of my biggest regrets in life is that my father is not around today to see where this industry oh, is yeah. because, uh, A, he could have helped it so much, yeah. and, but I think he'd be proud and I think he'd be... Uh, I think he'd be uh, smiling to say the least. So it's uh, it's really what what was the largest catapult to putting me towards this uh, this industry. So and happy about that. How does your mother feel about that? Yeah, another great question. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say, mom, uh, mom is uh, mom's like every mother. Uh, uh, you know, the light of my life, the most important person in my life to date, but. Mom taught school for 37 years, was a political animal involved with the Liberal Party of Canada, and uh, she had her reservations, to say the least. And uh, we didn't have the same conversations as my father and I would have. But, right. uh, of course, uh, seeing what's happened now and me being able to kind of wear her down, if I can use those terms, <laughs> and uh, and get her on uh, at least understanding. And, and I'm sure, like everybody in today's system, when she starts hearing about her friends using CBD for hip and knee joint replacements, uh, you know, those lights have gone off. And I am, again, proud that I've been able to at least understand that uh, we're not talking about crack or heroin right, or, right. or anything too uh, too substantial. It's funny, you know, <clears throat> even as we were talking now, I'm thinking about how the way that people's mindset has shifted even since we started this, which was just under a year ago. Um, you know, the, the, the almost shocking reaction to this is about to be legal has now become, well, wait, maybe I can use this. Yeah. You know, so we've seen that shift happen. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so I was asking, asking you that stuff because, because I'm trying to set up this idea that you, you've been a part of this for quite some time, longer than, well, I'll use most, uh, as the word, um, certainly longer than most people I've spoken to. And, and what I'm interested in is really what you and I have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And, and it's not so much about what's happening now, but what 
is going to happen. So it will be legal. Sure. Which is crazy. <laughs> it's actually happening. Um, and so I guess what I'm thinking is, is what do you think is going to happen to the cannabis climate as it exists now? Yeah. Uh, wonderful question, Sean. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone has the exact answer. We can certainly speculate. Yeah. Um, you know, before I get into that, I, I will say, and it kind of leads into that, I had a hard time having conversations with anybody about this space three years ago, yeah. five years ago, very difficult. And I think the biggest change we're going to see first and foremost is just public perception is obviously shifting. Public perception is now looking at this for a number of different reasons. We are, we are actually recognizing the wellness, even although it's just a tiny space, it's just a tiny piece of it. Yeah. People are finally accepting, hey, there is some medicinal values here. To what level and to what extent, we have a long way to figure that out. But yeah. the public opinion is certainly changing. And uh, the reality of it is, I think, if it's not being motivated medically, because we're seeing loved ones, people we know, seniors, of course, being the largest demographic and fastest growing demographic in this space. Um, the other th issue that's really changing, and uh, it's happening now, but will certainly continue, and I think will be the largest, uh, the largest factor in what looks different um, in this new system versus what uh, we've been dealing with. And that's really the commercialization of this industry. Right. Money is going to mm -hmm. be motivating people. And I go back to what I was alluding to. Um, most people, when I was introducing this topic, were having a very difficult time to talk about it. At my brother's table four years ago, I wasn't allowed bringing up the term cannabis because <laughs> it just wasn't accepted. Yeah. Um, five, six, seven years ago, people would look at me and think I'm some rogue uh, crusader that's on maybe one of these uh, one of these tangents. But um, yeah. you know, fast forward, I'm working and partnering and with the guy that used to run the drug taskman force for the entire country, the RCMP. Oh, I'm shit. being invited into universities and I'm um, standing in front of uh, all of the governments, municipal, provincial, federal, uh, you know, things change. So it's, uh, I think first and foremost, the biggest change will be that, uh, that perspective. And I think it's going to be motivated for the right reasons as far as the actual health and wellness side of it. But make no mistake about it. But this industry will definitely be motivated by the commercial aspect. So yeah. those same people that were were maybe talking behind uh, closed doors about their thoughts on me are now phoning me up and looking for stock <laughs> advice. And uh, so it's yeah. uh, so here we are. But no one should be surprised with that. But it yeah. it is it is what it is. Yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I mean, the perspective is definitely changing. And what I find most personally, what I found most. Um, intriguing by all of that is the amount of people that have kind of come forward and said, you know, I've been kind of wanting to talk about this for a long time. So can we grab a coffee and can we chat about this? You know, and, and so, you know, the social acceptance is one part of it, but, um, as we've been saying for a long time, particularly on this show, the key to it is understanding it. Yeah. And, and what I, what I have found out is that even when we started this, um, 
well, I'll use myself as an example. What I thought I knew about it was, mm-hmm. was peanuts compared to what I've learned since then. Yeah. And so we always say to people, best thing you can do is educate yourself. So the assumption that I make is that education is going to play a massive role in kind of what happens next after, after legalization. What are your thoughts on the role of education in the whole thing? Yeah, and, and, and the key to this, I think, will be education. The individual actually being able to go out and do, and, and do their own due diligence, but more importantly, the information that's going to be presented by our government, by our school systems. I mean, we have to understand that we're completely rewiring uh, a concept that has been presented for the last 60, 70, 80 yeah. years, arguably 250 if we wanted to take that too far. But Reefer um, Madness. Reefer Madness. Uh, <laughs> let's go right back to the cotton industry or however far we have to take it. But yeah. the reality of it is there is a, a significant deprogramming that needs to take place, and, and it is happening. And uh, I think one thing that social media will allow is, and I think it's probably one of the most useful tools that have been used that actually has been able to take this cannabis industry from where we were to where we are to about where to to where we're about to go the information is there um you know most of it had been anecdotal to date um but we know you know the, the the research and development is taking place uh go back in time 35 years ago or however long ago it was um, Israel, ironically, had happened to be the top country spending significant amount of time and energy studying the cannabis plant. Yeah. And what we know today really came out of that. Uh, what, what was that? Why were they able to do that? Yeah. I, I read something about this, but I don't quite remember it. Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it was really the insight, maybe a little bit of luck and timing that played into it. But uh, the father of modern medicine, uh, modern cannabis, Cannabis uh, came out of uh, came out of Israel, and he's still uh, Dr. Uh, Raphael Mishlum is 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 the I think the proper pronunciation. And 30, I won't argue with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure somebody will, but yeah. uh, um, you know, he really changed my my perspective. There was uh, this was a scientist, and it was a scientist that completely stepped out of the norm. He convinced his uh, university to allow him. To, uh, to study a cannabis plant, which nobody had ever really looked at before. Yeah. And he was the first person to actually identify the compounds THC and then CBD. Yeah, THC and was first, right? THC was first yeah. and then CBD was, was second. And he was the first person to really allow science, innovation, technology to have some role in this, in this space. And you look at what's happening now and more importantly, what's about to continue to happen. You know, the discovery of the endocannabinoid system came from his his insight. Um, all of the R&D that's taking place today, again, arguably led by big pharma, big tobacco, yeah, and, and yeah. big alcohol, but that is all based on on the, the research and science. So you want to look at probably where some of the biggest changes will be. It's going to come out of the science, and that science will be education-based, and uh, yeah. I, I think it's going to be very exciting to see where we're at. You know, you look at, uh, you look at the University of California, they're offering university courses yeah. now on all aspects. I think BC is doing that now, BC too. He's doing yeah. it in 
and and actually New Brunswick is doing it okay. as well. And uh, you know, I just got a phone call today, and they want me to go in and speak to uh, one of the local universities here about mm-hmm. trying to look at setting up some curriculums there. Yeah, this industry is massive. Um, well, first of all, it's an industry, no question, right? And I think that 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 to me is probably the biggest <clears throat> shift. I remember when. We heard recently about um, Constellation Brands, you know, invested $5 billion, right, in in canopy growth, I think it was. Yeah. And regardless of what they're going to do with that or why or any of that, the biggest thing that I took away from that was the message that that sent. This is real now. Sure it is. You know what I mean? And yeah. and so if, if you weren't, if you were pretending this was all a big joke prior to that. Yeah. This sent a message to people. And, you know, you hear stories about banks that won't touch businesses that are cannabis-based businesses. You hear stories about people having a hard time getting the approvals they need, whatever. It's an industry. Yeah. And we're witnessing it. Sure. So maybe to speak on that a little bit, uh, I know many people in the space, and we can call it the industry, but the cannabis space in general, would love to have a few more years of this being under under the covers. Yeah. Um, just allow them to prepare a little bit better. Sure. Um, you know, probably one of the best comments I ever hear from anybody is when they tell me, oh, I think the cannabis industry is at the top of its market it, and yeah. it's run its course. And I love to hear that because it just really lets me know that once again, a lot of people are unfortunately misinformed. Um, it also lets me know that there's there's a lot more education and information to get out there. So um, I'm a massive fan and most people that are, I would say, that are within my camp or, and I've been blessed to be able to get close to some of the best names in this industry. Certainly the can, not only the Canadian industry, the U.S. industry and, and the global cannabis industry. And we're all pretty well have the same concept that we are in the first inning of this yeah. cannabis. This game, game. <clears throat> no yeah. question. Funny you say that. You know, uh, I never thought to, to ask you this, but you would have an interesting perspective, I think. I have always been um, talking about my sort of <clears throat> pride for for Canada. You know, in this space, like we're 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 not the first, but we're certainly the largest to to uh, legalize recreationally federally. Um, when you in your um, What's the word I'm looking for? In your correspondence and dealings with other people around the world, how do they look at what's happening in Canada? Like, I feel like people are watching and going, let's see how they do it. Yeah, that, yeah great, great question. Um, you know, when we are talking to, well, let, let's call it for what it is. Canada did a phenomenal job and kudos to our prime minister, kudos to the public for allowing this to happen. Yeah. Um, we are seeing a paradigm shift taking place, not in our own country, but uh, all over the world. Yeah. Um, you want to look at this sort of from a more globaler aspect. Um, Canada was really, we can call it the second major country, but really the first to go out there and say, this is what we're doing. Yeah. I don't think we really know what we're doing, but this yeah. is how we're going to attempt to do it. And we've seen that with all of sort of the pullbacks and the marijuana task force and everything that they've came forward with. And we only need to look at what's happened here locally within Atlantic Canada. And, you know, there's been, it, it, it's been difficult. And, and, and a lot of people are very skeptical of the yeah. route the government has taken. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nationally, but give credit where credit is due. And we are watching a paradigm shift 
shift, which I think can be related not just to cannabis, but if we want to look at the sort of decriminalization of drugs in particular, I believe we're on the cusp of seeing this roll into uh, a lot of other areas, which probably will be game changers in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Back to your question, uh, specifically in how Canada is viewed, I mean, we are, people are envious of the position we're in. Um, You know, the United States, uh, most of the businesses I'm involved in, there are companies and money coming out of the U.S. that can't be deployed within their own country based on federal regulations. The fact that it's a Schedule One narcotic really limits what's happening in the U.S., big big corp for whatever reason really can't participate right. unless they're engaging in different areas of the of outside of their country so canada is being viewed as as really the front runner and no question under the microscope no question we're going to be looked at as probably uh, an, an experiment to some extent yeah. and uh, and and again very impressive that we did it um, this whole industry in Canada, I think, is is going to go through a lot of major changes. Yeah. Um, again, infancy state, but uh, I don't know if cultivation is a good time to bring into this topic or not. But the Canadian <laughs> industry really got heavily loaded into the concept of cultivating the product. Yeah. And um, I have my own views of that and certainly would be happy to share that with you, yeah, and, we'll, you and your viewers when uh, when and if that time comes. We'll talk about it. You, sure. You've given me a, a bunch of things I wanted to kind of poke on, uh, poke at a bit. Um, you know, you made the comment about, um, you know, we don't know what we're doing. And there was a time where I thought that and believed that and thought, man, what a mess. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, how are we supposed to know? Yeah. I mean, nobody else has done it. Yeah. So it's funny. I had a, a question from somebody this morning who said, who said, do you, you know, do you know if, if we've looked at any other jurisdictions to see what they've done? I'm like, well, who would that have been? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't look to the U.S. states because it's all different. The rules sure. are completely different. You could look to Uruguay, but Uruguay, let's face it. I mean. It's Uruguay. Uh, it's Uruguay. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, uh, we, we may not know what we're doing, but I, I feel like. My attitude towards that has really changed in the last, say, six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as I say to folks now, I, I've, I've gained a lot of empathy for the people who have, have been put in these positions to make these decisions. Yeah. Because no matter what they do, um, people are going to be, they're not going to like it. No, no. And so the process then becomes uh, a process of harm reduction. You know, how can we, how can we, how can we be as safe as possible? Sure create an industry and a business that is economically viable for all those involved and which, which we could debate yeah, um, and get it off the ground. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I always say to people, um, I used to hate the idea that all the provinces had a different distribution model. Now I like it only because I think it gives us a chance to try a couple of different models and see which one works. Fair enough. You and know? and I, I think that's a great outlook. And, you know, if we want to go back to where Justin Trudeau announced his federal nomination program or platform, yeah. one of the platforms was 
decriminalizing cannabis and making it legal. Uh, That resonated incredibly well, I think, along with the fact that Mr. Harper was was going in a different direction uh, at the same time. But it was, uh, I'm sure if you look back at it and you ask the Liberal government uh, where their thoughts were three and a half years ago or however long ago it was versus where they are today, I'm sure they would have different thoughts. Uh, They designated a marijuana task force to go in and to really look heavily at at what uh, the endeavor was in front of them. And, and we need to understand that this is a this is a decriminalization of a of a, a drug that's been been present in a lot of people's lives for a long time, but it's always been present in the black market, and now we can say the gray market, and yeah. all of a sudden about the white market. So major major task, and they got uh, you know again I I. It's easy to criticize. I'm as equally able to criticize them as anyone else. But hey, we are uh, we are legal, and <laughs> yeah. we're all going to be able to say we were part of it. Yeah, we and, lived uh, it. We all know the world we're living in. We all yeah. know that commerce will play such a massive role in this. We all know it's not always fair. I think we just got to continue what we're doing, and uh, and that's fight for what we believe in, and that's what this industry was about. Um, the sad part, maybe, and. I think this is important. I think this is what resonates with the cannabis culture people is if you were to go back years ago and ask them, and I'm, when I'm talking cannabis culture people, I'm talking the ones that were on the front line, yeah. the people that <clears throat> fought, you know, that that probably went to jail over yep. this or yep. risked going to jail over this, but fought for the right of where we are today. If you were to ask them, what they would not want to see in a system, a legalization system, my guess is, and knowing enough of that environment is the way I do, I would suggest probably having to go to a liquor store and pick up your product yeah. or go into a pharmacy or, or, sorry, maybe not a pharmacy, but some sort of pharmacy of some sort yeah. and, yep. and get your product. And And the reality of it is we need safe distribution. We need quality assurance. We need to be able to protect the public. And I say we as if I'm part of that solution, but (laughs) I guess the the point of all this is it's a difficult endeavor and we're seeing how difficult it is. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody really knew how difficult it was going to be when it started. You know, I think it's like one of those things, if you knew how tough the homework was going to be, homework assignment was going to be, you might have... What did, I, what did I sign up for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what did I sign yeah, up yeah. for? But here we are. Here we and, are. And you know, you mentioned, you mentioned this idea of decriminalization. Um, we have talked about this a little bit in the past, the, the, the notion of criminal charges and what happens to people uh, after legalization, um, what happens to prisons, all of the, the money and the time consumption that has been used up in, yeah. because of this space. So what do you think will happen now? Yeah, within kind of the justice system yeah. in general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, boys, that's uh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I will say first and foremost, make no mistake, the fact that we're decriminalizing this drug, um, is that going to give people a, a, a golden ticket to go out and do whatever they want to do in this yeah. industry? I would almost say it's probably uh, the opposite it's of worst. that. Yeah. Um, you know, we look at... You know, we always talk about the U.S., um, but in trying to figure out why cannabis is criminalized to begin with, but you know, you only got to look at their numbers of the prison population. Uh, 
uh, I don't know the statistics offhand, but I think 80% of every person that's in that's in uh, that's charged with marijuana is simply charged for the sake of having possession of the product. Right. And the prison systems are filled with cannabis possession, uh, which our country is about to completely decriminalize and, of course, support 100%. And yet we're looking at our neighbors that are still deem this a Schedule 1. Um we all know what's happening with the border conversations right now. Yeah. Uh, two-thirds of the U.S. is medically regulated. One-third of their population pretty well is recreationally uh, regulated, yet you will go to jail for significant time if you're caught with a misdemeanor charge of yeah. carrying cannabis. So here in our own country, I think what we're going to end up watching happen is uh, is it's going to take probably a year, eight 18 months in order for policing to catch up to, uh, you know, they've had a very difficult time. They, they're kind of have their hands up over the last five yeah. or six years and saying, I don't know if I can arrest this person or not. I don't know if they have a medical license or if they're legally allowed to grow this. Yeah. But I think what we'll see happen is this industry will get policed fairly significantly. Um, not necessarily, obviously, you're going to be able to carry your own product. You're going to be able to use what you're able to use. You're going to be able to have on you a certain amount. That will all be clearly defined, and I think that will be substantial for not only the individual, but also the police to be able to have a clear line. Okay, this is yeah. what's allowed and what's not. But on the other end, um, there is going to be a major turf war that is about to be presented over the new white market, the corporate market, the yeah. large LPs, and potentially even the craft industry versus the versus the old school black yeah. market. Uh, you will certainly see the gray market be, and and just for the viewers, there's there used to be a black market, and that was the only thing that was yeah. involved in cannabis. Yeah. We have now created, over the last five, six, seven years, what's known as a gray market, where dispensaries can operate and sell cannabis out of uh, on the street. I suspect you will not see that in the near yeah. future. Come October 17th, which is a, right around the corner, I don't think we're going to see a dispensary anywhere in Atlanta. Atlantic Canada and possibly throughout the country that is actually able to sell yeah. unregulated product. Do you know, it's funny, I, I, I still uh, and often have wondered well, how that can even exist. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear about dispensaries getting raided and a couple days later they're open back up. I, I don't quite get it, but but I agree with you. I think in many ways the new regulations make the lines a lot clearer yeah. for policing. However, when it comes down to things like municipal bylaws, yeah. And smoking areas and nuts. I know it's been a big issue here because yeah. it's basically like you can't smoke. The biggest thing I hear from people now is I can buy it. I just can't use it anywhere except yeah. at home. Do you really think they're going to be able to police this? Yeah. Um, you know, being an anti-smoker, um, being someone that watched my father smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and, uh, yeah. and you know, and listening to all of the cannabis, anti-cannabis rhetoric about I, it stinks. And, you know, I think we need to be very conscientious when we were, when I was working in the medical clinic environment and 
patients would come in and actually get their license to use cannabis for the first time, um, they were always asking, so where can I use this? And we're frankly at then, and even up till now, they're able to use it pretty well wherever they wanted to use it. But, you know, the advice always was to be respectful. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to go up to a police officer and blow it in, blow his, smoke. in his face, <laughs> yeah. you know. But You could, uh, but... You yeah. could, but uh, wouldn't advise on that. But so now... I don't know. Are they are they going to be able to police that? Not a chance. Are yeah. they going to be able to say, hey, you're smoking? Uh, I think they'll make an effort to do it. I think if you ask the police officers what's going to be the biggest pain in their arse, no question, that's going to be one of them. Yeah. Um, how many of them will actually, I think they'll just give them the, hey, put that out or get yeah. out of here. But but again, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what the actual policies will be on that. We know the law, whether that law will be enforced fully. Yeah. Um, per- I, I think the whole, my, my take Sorry to interrupt, but my, no. uh, like I've chatted about this with with some of the um, uh, uh, counselors, you know, even the city planners, and and you know, I think their hope is that the rule is there. People generally are law abiding citizens. Yeah, uh, you know, the trouble is going to be, hey, uh, uh, cop, <laughs> there's somebody on the corner here smoking a joint. Well, by the time anybody gets yeah. there, I mean, it's it's yeah. going to be tough, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think they'll figure that out and they'll end up turning a blind eye to most of it. Uh, you know, my understanding is it's with tobacco as well. So they're going to have the same issues with trying to convince people not to smoke cigarettes yeah, as right, well. Right. Um, I think the biggest issue that the police will have, of course, is, is now um, what are they going to do with this incredibly large black market that's all of a sudden going to be yeah. re-emphasized because we know for a fact, at least at first, within the first six months, maybe a year, the expectations are that uh, the supply is going to be limited, yeah. that the big LPs aren't going to be able to fill, fulfill the, uh, the the matter or fulfill the uh, the appetite. Yeah. And where's that appetite going to get filled? Well, 80% of the entire industry to date is still being going to the black market. Um, we decriminalized cannabis for a number of different reasons, but let's make no mistake about it. The number one reason yeah. was to take it into a tax system where they can collect tax dollars. And all of a sudden, it's certainly even here in Atlantic Canada more so than most, but you're going to see a black market thrive. Um, the dispensaries are going to be shut down, so there's no easy access there. I'm yeah. assuming the police are going to have a very easy time shutting Shutting them down. It's not something that I'm I'm hoping that's happened, but I expect it very clearly. It's 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 low hanging fruit for them. Are you kidding me? Well, and and don't you think that the the, the statement needs to be made? Well, it will be made. Right. So I think right or wrong, that statement's being made. Yeah. Um, Secondly, is the online dispensing, which is a major major revenue model right now for the underground market. Yeah. Um, You know, the government obviously created their own online market, which they're hoping to to draw tax dollars uh, from, and they're going to be competing with a system that 80% of the people are already going to. Yeah. So it's going to be challenging. My gut is the first year, first 12 months, first 18 months, it's going to be a, a wide open system, maybe yeah. even more Wild West than what it's been. <laughs> but, you know, I always use this analogy and, and, and I go to it all the time, but they will kick your doors down if they think you have illegal tobacco in your That's house, right. you yeah. know, of any substantial size. Yeah. The ARC team or someone will literally come through your front doors as yeah. if you have some sort of 
crazy crime going on in there, not because the product of, of cigarettes is killing a half a million people a year. It's because the government and the corporations <laughs> <evasion>. are not, <laughs> not collecting their tax dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we need to look any further to how yeah. they police the tobacco industry and just do a little looking into what they're doing with that market. Yeah. And I think they're going to set a very clear example and come pretty heavily on it. So, but that's the negative. I think where some of the positives here are on opportunities that the government has opened up. And I don't want to be that, uh, you know, I don't want to make it sound that this is all negative because it certainly isn't. But they're trying and encouraging. And the government knew that this was their competition. And they're trying to get people in the black market, in that gray market, to come over to the white market. Yeah. And they've opened up opportunities. They've opened up the opportunity to have a micro license where you can actually go through Health Canada to apply for a license, um, all they really care about is that the product is regulated. Right. And yeah. by regulated, controlled, people will know what's in the product. And look, I'm not suggesting people are spiking their products or well, yeah. that it's that dangerous, but we yeah. all have to admit, they don't allow us to go in our bathtub, mix up a bunch of homebrew, open up a shop on Spring yeah, right. Garden Road yeah, and sell yeah. it out the front door. Yeah. And that argument can be placed. And I'm fans of everybody in this space, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm picking and choosing sides, but the government surprisingly has shown a lot of leniency on trying to invite and bring that black market element yeah. into the game. And, and, and that's something that I think people have to recognize. And rather than sitting around and complaining about everything that's going wrong in this system, yeah, yeah. you know, we're going forward. The system's moving forward. Let's move forward with it. And uh, I think it's the right thing to do. And I, yeah. I think people will either get onto that side or get off of it. And, uh, you, you know, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. I yeah. think I think people have the opportunity to be a, a big part of the solution. Yeah, look, I, I agree. I mean, I think... Um I often joke about we we lose the plot sometimes when we start we start splitting hairs on which store we can go to or who should be running it. Who, yeah. Like, because the fact is, there's this progress is being made, decriminalization yeah. is happening, all of that. Um, you know, my understanding of of why they've chosen to do things the way they're they're doing it is because the the distribution models, whether it's a private model, public private, you know, whatever the case might be are models that exist that can be regulated. Yeah. And so I think the issue, at least in Nova Scotia, was, look, the cost and time required to go into the private businesses and regulate, yeah. to be able to set up a system to regulate and control is too costly, too time insensitive, and we can do this quicker. Yeah. Um, um, so my think, and I, I, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. My, my thinking is that eventually you'll see that you'll see that private sector kind of open up, unless unless we see a province that has that and it goes to shit, yeah, which is completely possible. You know, province like, in the private sector go yeah, to shit. Yeah, someone yeah. that's got that model. Because yeah. again, this has been back to my earlier point about I like this idea that we're trying different models because you're kind of going to get to see in real time. Sure. I mean, despite the Ontario thing, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen there. <laughs> but, you know, to your point about uh, the gray market or the online dispensaries, you know, so now in Ontario, you're all those people, the whole province can only order online because they've changed the store model, right? They, yeah. They've got so. 
I'm actually really curious to see what happens there. Sure. So just to speak to the Ontario market, because I'm very aware of what's been taking place there. So I think it's until April, April you yeah. can only order online. Yeah. No question. Uh, our, our friend, Mr. Uh, Mayor Ford. Yeah. Our friend, Mr. <laughs> Ford. Uh, I almost said Mr. Trump, but uh, Mr. Ford it's is kind of has, same, isn't it? has taken it to, yeah, I, I would think so. It's it's really strange what's happening in this world, or at least within our own little uh, continent here. Yeah. But anyway, um, they're going private direction. Uh, he stepped in and said, look, I, I'm going to support a private model. You will see. So, so far, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, BC, now Ontario, it seems like Quebec's going this way. They're all going to have some form of private uh, cannabis dispensing. And and I've always been a fan of that. I think uh, you need to give the you need to give uh, commerce an opportunity to flourish. Sure. I think the government has has reasons to be in certain aspects of our lives and certain aspects I don't think they do. And uh, I think this is one that uh, the public, private, is certainly capable of handling. Um, we watch what's happened here in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI. Ironically, Newfoundland went public. Public, but they have their own uh, private. They, private, sorry, yeah, yeah. they have their own uh, their own demographic issues to deal with there. But um, you know, the the federal task force spent a year looking at it and realistically came up with a couple recommendations. Uh, they dumped those recommendations on the provinces and said, "Okay, you guys now have to make this decision. You got a year to do it, and yeah. you need to be ready." So uh, certainly, don't think that this was the best route, but understand the time restraints. Yeah. I think we're going to be seeing Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI certainly be turning to a private model within the first 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Um, the reason simply is because they're going to be losing all of their money to the people that they deregulated this product for in the first <laughs> time, and that's the black market. So yeah. it's contradictive to, you know, the, the Marijuana Task Force had a couple significant recommendations. And uh, first and foremost was don't co-locate alcohol and uh, and cannabis. And for some reason, we're co-locating yeah. uh, cannabis and alcohol. And look, I get it. I'm not here to bang on them. I know the people in uh, Nova Scotia liquor stores, and I think they're doing the best job that they can certainly do. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, been in front of almost every provincial government within uh, within our country and three years ago or two years ago when we started this endeavor you could tell they didn't want this they didn't want this headache right, but right. they were forced to make some decisions on something they knew little to nothing about so here we are and uh, I expect to see a private model or something relevant or significant some combination uh, yeah some combination yeah. within 18 months maximum the the uh, Nova Scotia model is the only one like it in the country. Yeah, and I was I was actually having this chat this morning with somebody, and and I was joking, but but I'm I'm not sure that I'm joking anymore when I say this. But I know that the task force uh, recommended no co-location. I know there's a lot of reasons why that's a bad idea. But do you think 
it could work. Like just to play devil's advocate, like yeah. what if that becomes the system that works? Yeah. You know? Well, it sure the hell works for alcohol. I mean, you know, give them credit. It, uh, yeah. it, it works for alcohol. Yeah. And uh, although I never like to compare the two products because I think one is completely on uh, on the wrong side of health and wellness. And I think right. the other one certainly can be and, and, and is on the right side of health and wellness. But, you know, hey, it's a solution. Yeah. I'm guessing it's going to need some major changes very early within yeah. the system. I'm guessing, again, the black market in Nova Scotia, I know lots of people in that industry. They're as happy as a pig and shit right now yeah. because they're high-fiving one another saying, we're still open, baby. Let's keep her rolling. <laughs> but, but again- I, mean, I guess nobody really knows, right? No but one I mean, knows. We'll see what'll no happen. No one knows. But th th let's give them credit. They know distribution. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they know, they, they, you know, uh, the problem with cannabis, the, the biggest issue that I think the Nova Scotia liquor stores will have and anybody in this particular space is- how are you going to be educating first-time users or even, you know, your their employees are making, what, $11, 12 $13 yeah. an hour? Yeah. Um, are they going to, and, and not that the money defines that, but it's going to limit um, possible skill sets maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, just simply based <clears throat> on the lack of, uh, lack of financial incentive. And I guess my concern is, which is a concern of a lot of people, um, you talk to the dispenser, and their biggest beef is, well, who's going to tell this individual what they're going to use and how to use it and yeah. everything else? And are you going to get that quality of service from uh, a Nova Scotia liquor rep? Maybe you are. Um, I hope they. I hope they do. But yeah. uh, the the jury's still out, to say the least. Yeah, on that I guess one. it remains to be seen. I mean, yeah. everything that I. Uh, know about that and have heard is is like any scenario where you have employees that need to provide some sort of service. Obviously, there'll be some level of training involved. Obviously, they will be um, taught what to share with people and what to what not to share and all of that. But I mean, I guess the question is, who knows? It's hard yeah. for someone who's new to that space, arguably, to have the same kind of information as someone who's been doing it for twenty years. I mean, I get that. Um, We'll see. I mean, we'll I, see. I, I, I'm I'm as anxious as the next one to sort of see how it all goes. But that does that does lead me to, back to the to the science of all of this that you yeah. were talking a little bit about earlier, and whether that's the education, um, or or what you choose to believe about the uh, benefits or consequences of this product. Yeah. And one of the things that I have always found very interesting about this subject is that, for lack of real evidence, evidence in the scientific manner. Um, which we are now able to get. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going with this. Of course. But up to now, um, what I have found is that, like anything, people tend to lean on the evidence that supports their current belief. Yeah. So I don't support it. It's dangerous. It's bad. And I read five things that all said it's bad. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Here's the five articles I read that say it's fantastic. Yeah. So who knows? But now, this guy in Israel... It's probably like just beside himself going, well, I'm going to actually study this now for real. Yeah. So now we can actually get that scientific evidence. And I'm probably like most just dying to find out what actually comes out of this. Sure. What do you make of that? Yeah. Well, well, it's a future of the industry, hands down. It yeah. is it is what most cannabis cultured people or anybody that's deep in this space has been waiting for. Yeah. We've had so much anecdotal evidence mm -hmm. that this product used in moderation 
is having massive impact on people's health and wellness. You know, I can list off uh, 50 different things on why this product is having success, but all anecdotal. Right. And the common theme was, well, it's just anecdotal. You know, working in a medical clinic, you're talking to physicians all the yeah. time. The medical clinical model was built around patient aggregation, but more importantly than patient aggregation was physician aggregation, where you were actually trying to convince physicians why they should be writing prescriptions to right. their... Um, where we were three years ago to where we are now is, you know, it's almost night and day. Where we're going to be in three years, yeah. it will be entirely night and day from where we are now to yeah. where we're going to be. I mean, the University of Mississippi was the only research and development studied location in all of the United States of America. And guess what? The government had a very deep say in what was coming in and out of that oh, university. Really? Yeah. You are now seeing big tobacco, big pharma, big alcohol, all of the top pharma companies, all of the top uh, all the top industries yeah. are now pouring millions of dollars into this product and not because they're hoping they're going to find a four-leaf clover and actually find something that works. They know the product works. They are now just going to lay out the science on why it does. Yeah. You know, the endocannabinoid system is now going to be actually explored so deeply where it won't be desensitized. It won't be kept under um, under the ground. Nutraceutical, pharmaceutical technologies that have been throwing pharmaceuticals at us now have plant-based compounds, plant-based cannabinoids yeah. that are actually going to have major impacts on how we use it. And we're going to be able to dose the products properly yeah. as a result of science, technology, innovation. We're going to be able to actually identify which compounds, i.e., do you want a certain level of THC if you're dealing with pain? Yeah. Or do you want a certain level of CBD if you're dealing with anxiety or inflammation? And there's 120, arguably, probably a lot more that they're going to discover of these compounds yeah. that we're going to watch get tailor treated, actually figure out why Sean uses and wants to use cannabis versus why Kenny wants to use it, why my mother, why my brother. Yeah, and yeah. That is probably the most exciting thing about this industry is this product has worked successfully for so many people and they were using it almost like they were shooting fish in a barrel. They had no idea. They yeah, were just right. putting it into their system. <laughs> they had no understanding of the difference of strains and the difference mm -hmm. of compounds and terpene profiles and why one make, may, may make you sedative and the other one might make you uplifting. Like it was just a smorgasbord where you were throwing something in you, yeah. receiving some benefit from it, yeah. but really not even understanding why. Now, for the first time and we're talking over 6,000 years, but it's at least say at least the last 50 years, we have science about to be able to share this information and all of the naysayers, well, there's no clinical studies done. And I yeah. get it. I, I do. Yeah. I get it. But guess what? There's tons of clinical studies done that say tobacco kills a half a million people a year, yeah. but we're still shoving that shit down people's faces yeah, yeah. and uh, all because of profit. Yeah. We know what's happened in and the marketing pharma and branding and marketing yeah, and branding. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and marketing and branding is a wonderful lead into this next conversation. What do you think? 
think the big companies that are able to convince you that tobacco or alcohol or pharmaceutical drugs are what you need to take to make you healthier, to keep you moving or to, to lift you up. What do you think these companies are going to do with this actual organic, natural yeah. compound yeah. that guess what? Doesn't fuck you up the next day. It doesn't yeah. make you hungover. And we will figure out a tailored treatment right. that will probably work yeah. for whatever your situation. It's not going to cure things potentially, although I'm very optimistic we will see very deep, deep studies that'll go down that route. We all know the talk about cancer. I'm not a physician. I need to clarify yeah, that yeah, very yeah, quickly. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think anyone on this line thought for a second I was, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but the science is really what is going to take this to the next level. And my thoughts are, once we embrace this, once the individuals start having this stuff marketed towards them, yeah. and they're actually using a product, and I'm not talking the 1% of people that are out there blowing their heads off every night, right. and not saying that anything's wrong with that. I mean, we drink, we smoke, we do all those things recreationally, that's wonderful. But, you know, I'm talking about the person that wants to go to for a walk and wants a little energy boost. Well, guess what? There will be a compound, for that. For a formulation yeah. of a couple different compounds that will literally give you an increase in energy or maybe after your yoga class or after your hockey game or even after a long day at work for sitting and your back's bugging you you just want to go down and sit down and have something that might be more focused on repair and recovery yeah well that's where this industry is going yeah. and it really has nothing to do about getting high if you want to get high you can increase the thc level sure. and really take advantage of that but you don't need to mm -hmm. or maybe you want a bit of all of that and i guess if i'm trying to say something to the audience here that that's where this that's science, the opportunity. That's yeah. the opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. First of all, it's 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 fascinating sitting across from you watching you get excited about this. <laughs> like I mean, you're really getting excited. <laughs> and and I mean I get it. And I think that that to me is one of the single biggest um uh, revelations. It's yeah. probably too strong of a word, but no, but, I don't think it is. But that when people realize there is so much more to this product than getting high yeah um, and that when you discover that you can use intentionally for a certain purpose at a certain time that's a game changer yeah um you know even myself first time discovering that you know and going well i don't want it for this i want it for that and yeah. actually get and that working you know yeah. like that's kind of crazy so i agree with you and i get excited for the same reasons and that hopefully is what stops some of the bad side of this equation you know the people that are using it and shouldn't be yeah uh, the, the the things that lead to psychosis and depression and all of these things yeah. that that we hear about um and every time i hear about that i i just i wonder if it's like anything if you take too much of anything yeah. it's gonna it's gonna have uh uh similar effects right yeah no great point sean and no question it's it, it moderation will be the key yeah. um it will, and 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 certainly there are many elements of this that we need to dig deeper into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not suggesting for a second we have this all figured out. Mm. It's going to take a long time, but uh, I think we're on the right path, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Speaking of paths, um, I know that when when the stores open, I think in a day or two from when this is released, mm -hmm. I think it's the next day, like tomorrow. <laughs> right? um, I know at least in Nova Scotia there will be dried flour. There will be capsules. Yeah. And there will be oils. Yeah. There is all kinds of talk now about edibles coming out at some point. 
But, you know, in a conversation you and I had a little while ago, you know, you were talking about all kinds of shit that, yeah. that could be coming out. So where do you think it might go from an innovation perspective? Sure. So, um, again, science will, will probably be the driving factor behind that. But product innovation is really what will transform this space. Um, right now, we know smoking is by far still today the most accepted and most consistent use of cannabis. There's a number of reasons for that. One, it's always been the way, and it's really been the That's only what people way that, know. That, that, that what they know. Yeah. Um, probably as importantly to that is the fact that it's instant reaction. It is going right through the blood-brain barrier. There's, It's hitting you instantly. We don't need to get in to that we're a society that wants instant gratification <laughs> yeah. and that's what you're yeah. getting. Um, what do you mean? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know what you mean by that. So, so product <laughs> innovation really, uh, you talk to people from what are your other options other than using, uh, other than smoking the product, which of course we are still, although it's by far the largest use, that, that actual consumption rate is going down substantially. Yeah. Um, you're going to be seeing vapes happening all the time. Um, a safer way to use the product. Uh, I guess an early, easy explanation of that is there is temperature settings that are actually being able to burn the different compounds yeah. at different levels so that, yeah, yeah. And you're, you're, you're able to, it's, it's just a safer, a little easier on the lungs. I personally am not a fan of anything that you're inhaling just for specific reasons that are partial to myself. Um, but you're, you know, edibles, which of course is going to be a massive, massive market. Yeah. It already is a massive massive market. And here in Nova Scotia, we're not going to be able to consume edibles. It's going to be deemed illegal. Probably the most negative press comes from edibles because what happens is somebody gives you a delicious product. <laughs> it tastes good and it takes a long time to get yeah. into your system. Yeah. Well, guess what? You're usually going to eat more. Yeah. And then you have these issues of people going down what we'll call it. the, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll green out or they'll have, an, they'll have a negative issue with that. So technology innovation will have a big footprint in that because right now they're already introducing nanotechnology, which will allow edibles to actually be not once they're digested, it'll be able to get into your system, break that blood blood brain oh, barrier yeah, yeah. almost instantly, whether it's minutes or two, three, four, five minutes. Same will be said with uh with infused beverages. And you right. know, you mentioned constellation. We know Molson cores. Everybody is in this space now for a reason. Any state in the US that has that has legalized cannabis um, is seeing anywhere from eight to nine to ten percent drop in um, binge drinking. The alcohol mm. sales are dropping substantially. Um, you know, tobacco, where tobacco industry is losing sales to the cannabis industry. Um, we know alcohol is losing business to the cannabis industry. So these products will certainly also be derived probably from the same people that uh, that have been that have been delivering uh, some of the other products. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, you look at vape, vape technology came from the tobacco industry. No one's surprised to understand that Philip Moore has been working with extraction technology and and vaporizing for the last 15 yeah. or so years. So it just makes sense that they'll be there. But back to your point, product innovation will really give the individual specific 
different uh, ways of consuming the product. And that'll be essential because smoking yeah. will become a thing of the past. Yeah, you hear, you hear, you know, you can buy topical ointments now that you ah. can rub on your skin. There's yeah. salts for your bath. Yeah. There's Transdermal you patches, yeah. you know, it, it just, it, the list goes on and on. And this is where we're at now, where we're going to be in five years, I think will be pretty exciting to say yeah. the least as well. But I think the smoking thing will actually end up becoming the uh, least way that people ingest. I um, think it'll be more, uh, it'll eventually turn into, and don't get me wrong, the diehards, they're going to stick with yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. I think the diehards will end up being a very low end of the minority, whether it's right or wrong. I guess that's a personal preference yeah. and I'm not suggesting any other way, but uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, there's going to be bottles in gym bags where people are going to just look like a Gatorade bottle and they're yep. not going to take a shot either before they go in the gym or after they get out of the gym mm -hmm. and that'll have some form of cannabis or some yep. cannabis compounds in it. There is going to be uh, just even um, powder, for instance, that you're going to mix up Mixing and take. Drinks, there are yeah. going to be all kinds of different edible yeah. concepts and they won't be gummy bears per se they won't <laughs> yeah. be, you know they're going to be organic bars at least or maybe it'll be some sort of crazy chocolate that's just getting uh, i guess it all depends what the market will dictate but i, yeah. uh, I think it's going to be wide open the floodgates will open for sure it's funny you know i i first heard actually doing this show after talking to a couple of professional athletes how they use it before working out yeah. and the repair system that it helps and all yeah. of that and just the different ways they take it. It's kind of mind boggling when you start, when you start yeah. really thinking about the potential. Yeah. Once you get past the whole, like I have to roll a joint and smoke it, there's, there's so much that can be done. Having said that, let's wrap this up. Sure. Give me, give me the top three things, five things, however many things yeah. that, that you expect to see happen in the next couple of years. Fair enough. Uh, in no random order, or at least certainly not from an importance or, or not. Or completely random order. Or completely, <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, maybe even better way of putting it, a complete random yeah. order. Um, there is going to be a hell of a fight between the black market and the uh -huh. and the and the gray market, and it will be very interesting to see how this wa how this washes out. Yeah. Um, so yes, I would be. I, I think that's going to be incredibly significant, and it'll be very interesting to see how our policing and policy deals with that. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of along those same lines, but different. Very very interested to see what the United States of America does mm -hmm. with this. I mean, we are still schedule one narcotic. Um, we all know people are having issues even crossing the border right now if you're invested in cannabis deals is at least the narrative that we're hearing. Um, the fact remains that uh, I always thought Donald Trump was a businessman or a certain, well, he is a businessman. I thought he would be a little more partial to wanting to just collect the tax dollars, yeah. the net tax dollars, job creation. I'm sure a lot of countries are getting tired of seeing the success that Canada's having from an economic perspective. Yeah. And I think you'll see, uh, my gut was that they were gonna change and do something, but I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of concerns and issues down there that, uh, that go deeper than just saying that, yes, this drug's not bad and let's decriminalize it. But I'm very interested to see, so that'll be on my top list. Um, um, and along in that is is the global decriminalization. I think we're going to watch countries almost every year come on board, just like we've watched states in the U.S. come on board. You yeah. know? Uh, so I think when we end up watching what takes place,
place globally. A um, little more closer to home for me would be what's going on in the Canadian markets. Uh, I don't need to, we didn't talk much about this, but, uh, you know, we are built our industry around a Canadian cultivation play. The largest companies in the world here in the cannabis industry are all in Canada right now. And they're all these large indoor grow operations that um, unfortunately, um, some of them are very good. My gut is they are going to get amalgamated and do a couple big ones. Yeah. I think you're going to see a massive consolidation, not even in that space, but in all of this space, big tobacco, big alcohol, big pharma will have kind of the lion's share. So uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch what happens there. Um, you know, a little shout out to all the people that are investing in this space, which is really kind of my forte. Uh, watch those Canadian cannabis companies, those <laughs> cultivation companies, because they're producing at a at a dollar to a dollar fifty per unit per gram, and uh, I think we're going to watch a massive import market open up in the near future. They can and, do it cheaper, you mean? Well, they're producing. I you know came back from Colombia a few weeks ago, and they're producing it under five cents a gram wow. and this market's producing at a buck 25 buck 50 and uh, wonderful people behind some of these deals in Canada and I I wish them nothing but the best but I think we need to look at this from a commodity perspective rather than just we don't grow bananas in Canada for a reason right <laughs> yeah. and uh, and anyway I, I wish yeah. them all the best and uh, I have some dear friends and, and colleagues in there and I think a lot of them will survive but I guess from an investor standpoint, I would suggest uh, keep an eye on what you're putting in there and, and just make sure you're understanding kind of the macro side of it and the micro side of that. Uh, and then maybe uh, maybe finally, it's I'm just so excited to see the paradigm shift in the actual people that are going to be using this yeah. product. Yeah. You know, I talked about my mom earlier, but uh, I just see such a crazy shift in in the actual consumption and the amount of people that are going to be using this yep. product. And again, we talked about it enough, but not necessarily from a recreational standpoint, yeah. although that number is going to just skyrocket. Um, I'm talking more from health, wellness, yeah. all those other things. Part and of a lifestyle. Part of a lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, I'm just very optimistic to see and watch something that I fought pretty hard for and a lot of us have and certainly people have fought just as hard or harder than I am but I, I think we're really at a really interesting spot and uh, very excited to watch what happens in it to say the least. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well Kenny look I appreciate you coming in. I've enjoyed our conversations not all of them were recorded but they were all very similar. <laughs> Thank God. And, huh? uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, look I look forward to continuing the chat and it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate you having me here. I love what you guys are doing, and uh, it's uh, it's a new dawn, and uh, let's see where it takes us. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Sean. Well, I, I quite enjoyed the chat with Kenny. It's funny, him and I um, have been chatting a lot about this space over the last couple of weeks, and I was excited to get him in. Um, but even though we've talked so much about it, there were a few things that he said that I had hadn't heard him say before. Um, the first thing that caught my attention was this idea of a lot of good comes out of a lot of bad. And despite why he was using that scenario, um, it does confirm a belief that I certainly share that, you know, everything does happen for a reason. And however Kenny found himself in this space, uh, I'm glad that he's a part of it. I agree with him that one of the biggest things that's changing is public perception. 
And um, this idea of recognizing the wellness aspect of this product, when you learn about it, you learn how to use intentionally, it really can be an added benefit to an otherwise well-balanced lifestyle. I've never heard the term white market before today. I've heard black market. I've heard gray market. White market was a new one and uh, perhaps a a piece of vocabulary that I'll start using. Um, So that was sort of interesting. You know, the excitement that Kenny had when he started talking about the possibilities that come out of research. And and I think only recently did I realize that that's one of the big benefits of legalization, the ability to study, really study and find out what, what the effects are and what can be done with the product. And that's probably one of the things that I'm looking forward to most um, as we consider uh, how things might look going forward is what scientific evidence and proof actually does show up and can help guide us as users uh, or not in terms of how we would like to use for ourselves. A couple of things he said at the end there, this fight between the black and gray market, that'll be interesting to see. Of course, I'm always interested in what the U.S. will do and a bit surprised, like him, that they haven't already decided to federally legalize. Perhaps so with enough pressure, we might see that day. Um, And again, you know, his thought on the changes in people that use. He did make a comment partway through the discussion about seniors being one of the fastest growing demographics of people that are using. And they're using mostly for medicinal reasons, joint pain, sleep issues, etc. And for some reason, that's a comforting thing to me to hear that people of that age have discovered this potential uses of the plant and, and it's and it's benefiting them. And I can only imagine that that will increase as, as the research and science proves uh, to some degree what we know to be true. So again, I just want to thank Kenny for coming in. Uh, I'm sure I'll be having a lot more uh, conversations with him as time goes on. And that was a, it was a great conversation. You're listening to Turning a New Leaf, produced by the Village Soundcast Network. And I'm your host, Sean King. We'll talk to you soon. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.